Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Gathea's Charge podcast presented by the Chargers Podcast Network. My name is Steven, and I'm the host, as always, and joining, joining me is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing this evening? Uh, I could be better, but I'm doing all right so far. And listen, man, I'm excited for the 12-game win streak the Chargers are about to go on. Am I right? Yeah, manifested. I love it. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. It was a, it was a pretty slow day at work. Again, we've talked about this before, but a bunch of my coworkers like came up to me like, "Are you okay? Like, are you doing all right?" I'm like, I, I, "Like, I'm an adult. I'm able to separate football from my personal life. Like, you don't have to like keep things from me. Like, we're good." Um, so it was it was a long day at work, but it was it was fun. I'm doing all right. Uh, before we get started, I do want to give a quick shout out to Marianne Doe, uh, who turns out is the fan that went viral last night on Monday Night Football. I don't know how, but the uh, Pat McAfee guys were able to get a hold of her and uh, had her on the show. And uh, listen, man, like we're going to dive into the weeds here a little bit of what's uh, going on with this char- with this Chargers team. You know, it's it is our role to kind of you know parcel out the negative and the positive and things like that. But I really respect fans like her who are just, you know, going to keep the faith and, and Chargers are making the playoffs no matter what. And, uh, you know, she deserves a lot of credit for the amount of time and energy and obviously, you know, money she's putting into this team. And uh, I loved her comment how she treats her son's games just like she treats the Chargers games. So uh, really cool interview. You know, uh, the fact that a fan like that is able to get on the Pat McAfee show was really really cool so uh hat tip to miss marianne doe hopefully uh the chargers can turn this thing around and uh hopefully you have some more positive viewing experiences down there at the chargers games from now on yeah i loved her energy for all the good and all the bad all the anxiety all the cheering you name it like you really saw all the emotions of being a chargers fan and of course you know nfl espn whoever they're all taking off and running with it but yeah like the life of a chargers fan is this i mean the chargers page their twitter page has her as their profile picture. Can you imagine <laughs> like you open the internet one day and the chargers have you as their profile picture? Um, please don't do that. You keep your millions of followers. Um, you'll lose them all automatically if it's me, <laughs> but it's cool. It, it's really cool and cool for her to be able to do that. And just, it, it is nice to have fans like that out there. Um, I, I've seen already the internet try to play sleuth and find out if it's a, a planted fan or some fake fan or whatever. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I don't think anyone it signs up to be a Chargers fan and, and fake it like that. I mean, I think, I think you're all in at that point. I think you just, you are all in because I don't think anyone willingly signs up like that to be a fake Chargers fan. You can't get through the heart attacks like that. Yeah. I don't think it, I don't, I never doubted for a second that her emotions were genuine last night. You know, just that sheer anxiety and then joy and then also, you know, pain at the end <laughs> of that game you know i never doubted for a second that that was genuine so you know that's uh the unfortunate part of the internet but you know people are rallying around her today you know uh defending her honor so to speak after she went on the pat mcafee show and and uh clarified that she is in fact a real person and she is a real fan of this football team so um you love to see it i think the people the the world needs more marianne does and i respect uh the things that she was saying today on the pat mcafee show and, and the way she was acting last night so I uh, wanted to give a quick shout out to her before we started because it's just, it just was such a cool story, I think, that she was able to do that today. Um, all right, we're going to dive into this Chargers and Cowboys loss. Look ahead to the, the Chiefs game, where the Chargers are at overall. Um, we're going to get back to our segment of five truths today. Um, this is a way that we have really decided that we like to evaluate this team on a weekly basis on this channel. 
Um, so hopefully you guys are, are with us in that regard. Um, we have not had time to watch the All-22 tape just yet, um, given the fact that this was a quick turnaround on Monday night. Um, you know, I was able to rewatch the broadcast a little bit, and uh, you know that, that was definitely helpful. But we'll dive into some things. We'll have some data points, as we always do, and uh, excited to uh, kind of flush this loss from our system by having this conversation today. That is definitely one way to put it. So, Stephen, let's flush away. <laughs> flush away, yes. I love it. Um, all right, before we get started, as always, Tyler and I are fans of the team, just like you guys are. We've been uh, granted this platform by the Chargers organization. But the opinions that we share on this show every single week are just that. They are our opinions, not the opinions of the organization. And uh, we're going to continue to project the the honest truth of where this team is at regardless of what is happening because that is what we have built this uh brand on and we're excited to continue to do that um, but at the end of the day this, these are our opinions on the chargers channel they're not the chargers opinions so this is just me and tyler this is our authentic selves and uh i'm excited to dive in today all right tyler do you want to start with a positive truth or a negative truth from yesterday no, let, let's do a positive truth first. I want to hamburger method this or whatever. We'll start with maybe a positive, and maybe if I forget the second part of the bun because we continue negative, that's fine. But let's start with one positive before we go negative nuclear here and talk about all the things that did go wrong. And I do want to start with this run defense, which has been dramatically improved. And last night was certainly no exception. You hold Tony Pollard to 15, or excuse me, 30 carries. Nope. Hello, you hold Tony Pollard to 30 yards on 15 carries, which was awesome for this team. And this is a very, very good Cowboys offensive line. And the Chargers handled business. And the whole, I don't want to say the entire emphasis of the offseason was stopping the run. But it was probably the number one thing the Chargers wanted to do that was different from last season. And their three big tests this year for the Chargers have been, in my opinion, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, and then Tony Pollard behind this offensive line. And if you look at the Chargers the last few years when they've played these running backs, those three guys combined had 60 carries for 357 yards and three touchdowns. It has not been good when the Chargers previously played running backs like this, and there were many other games like that. So again, previously 60 carries, 357 yards, three touchdowns, which is about six yards per carry. This year, facing Henry, Jacobs, and Pollard. They only have, on 57 carries, so almost as many carries, they only have 168 yards, and they're averaging 2.95 yards per carry. This Chargers defense, the front in particular, has been awesome all year, and I think that against the run, they are significantly better than they ever were, and last night was no exception. Again, 15 carries, 30 yards for Tony Pollard. They've been really strong, and I think that's part of the that's partly the interior defensive line. That's been guys like Tuli Twipolotu. And it's been the two linebackers. I mean, Eric Kendricks, Kenneth Murray, they are affecting the game at the line of scrimmage and behind the line of scrimmage. You know, it's no longer as much the wait and catch the running back, wait for the play, late to diagnose. It really feels like like this game in particular was their best game as a duo. Not that there's been many. Yeah. And they really played downhill. And they are doing very, very good stuff right now. So again, very, very solid complimentary football in the run game between the defensive linemen, the edge rushers, the linebackers. It's looking so much better. And again, last night, they were very, very strong in that regard. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you want you started this with this conversation because I think it's the right place to start. And, and there are certainly some things that the defense needs to clean up, and we can get into some of those. But you look at sheer counting stats last year, the Chargers in, in, in 2022 across the whole season uh, were allowing 144 yards per game, uh, which uh, is not great. <laughs> it, it's, it wasn't last, but it was pretty close to it. Um, this year, it's 102 yards per game. It, it's Right now, it's tied for 13th with the Tennessee Titans uh, in, in terms of yard rushing yards allowed per game. Um, and if you would have told me uh, two months ago that the Chargers after six six weeks would be tied with the Tennessee Titans for yards per game allowed on the ground, I would have said you were crazy because uh, the Titans' run defense is really freaking good, as we saw in week two. Um, so if you look at sheer counting stats, they've improved significantly. I mean, a 40-yard per game difference is huge. That's a very drastic difference for this team. And like you mentioned, you know, the, the, they have faced some – some quality running backs, some quality offensive lines, some some staffs that want to run the football. Mike McCarthy famously parted ways with Kel Moore because he wanted to run the football more often. Uh, and we saw a little bit of that, of that come to fruition last night. You look at, like, EPA per play stats and you look at rushing success rate, and they have improved pretty significantly in that regard as well. Um, and we always talk about this, but, you know, two years ago, Joshua Kelly came on our, our channel and interviewed with Arjun, and, and Arjun asked him, you know, like, what's the key statistic? Like, if you're a running back, like, and you're building a resume, like, what's the first thing you're putting on there? And he mentioned yards after contact per attempt. And that's a key attribute that we have looked at in terms of, like, draft prospect analysis, in terms of the way the Chargers are running the football. Like, it really is such an important aspect because – it really kind of paints the picture of, of what is your running back creating? What is your defense limiting? What is your offensive line creating? You know, if a running back has a lot of yards, but his yards after contact is pretty low, that's an offensive line strength. You know, if he has a lot of yards, but, you know, his yards after contact per attempt is super high, you know that that running back is creating a lot of value for your team. And the Chargers, when you look at what they have uh, – limited against these running backs you look at josh jacobs and tony pollard and derrick henry they've all held them under two yards per two yards after contact per attempt and that's a very strong showing from this defense i think they show they they had a little bit more struggles against uh alexander madison but for the most part this defense has really uh really answered the bell when it comes to the run defense and i think Part of that is, is like you mentioned, Thule and Khalil Mack have really started to set the tone there. But I also want to give a shout-out to Nick Williams here. Nick Williams is a veteran they signed late in the free agency cycle. Um, traditionally had not played a ton of nose tackle. He had, he had played a lot of three technique, four technique, you know, similar role to Austin Johnson in the past. Um, but he is playing the nose for this Chargers run defense in base defense situations. He's taking on deep, he's taking on double teams. He's doing all the dirty work, and he's allowing Sebastian Joseph Day, uh, Thule, and Khalil Mack to be really, really aggressive because he's taking all of that on by himself. And that's what the Chargers really needed um, to find this offseason this this year because Otito Ogbonia has his injury. I think he was really projecting to be that guy before the injury, and Nick Williams has has answered that call. So you don't you don't improve your run defense by 40 yards by just like solving one problem here and there. It's a collective thing. And right now the Chargers run defense is, is really keeping them in games. And I think 
you know, they're, like I said, we'll get into some of the things that they need to clean up on. But they're setting a tone early, and we've seen it stick throughout various rushing attacks, various coaching staffs, various running backs that are all high level. So I, I'm glad you started this way. I think the run defense definitely deserves deserve some props. Yeah, and it's allowing the Chargers to or at least prevent other teams from staying ahead of the sticks. You know, on third down, it's more third and long than anything else. And sure, there's been issues on the back end, but I feel like I don't know where they're at right now, but I feel like the Chargers are generating more sacks than usual. And it's relatively the same guys. Heck, they're down Joey Bosa at this point, but I feel like they're generating more sacks than usual because they're winning early. And, you know, Mike McCarthy really wanted to establish the run last night, and we knew that going into it. And it was, I mean, two yards, two yards, three yards, two yards, loss of one, one yard. I mean, there was nothing. You look at the last two games, I believe the long for both of these running backs where Jacobs was, I think, nine yards and for Pollard it was seven. I mean, it's really just they're limiting everything. They're keeping things really great in front of them. No big explosive plays, which plagued them last year. It is really impressive. So I, there's a lot to discuss, I think, with this defense overall, both good and bad. But I really think the biggest surprise and the highlight so far for this defense in this game and really all year has been the improvement in the run game. Yeah, it's it you the kind of putting a bow on this conversation for the run defense. I think one of the things that was the a huge problem for them, them last year were explosive runs and not just like 10 yard plus runs, but like the back breaking, you know, 50 yard touchdown against the Jaguars and stuff like that. Um, they've only allowed one run that to go over 20 yards right now. And mm. that's been a key, key thing for them because they're limiting the damage. And it is, again, it, all of these players deserve credit. You know, Dean Marlowe has come in and made some crucial plays in run defense. Um, he was the one who flew over the top against Dak Prescott in the tush push and, and allowed them to create that uh, fourth down. And Nick Williams was the one who stymied Tyler Biotch to create that penetration. So, it's a lot of Thule, a lot of Kilomac, a lot of Sebastian Joseph Day getting the spl- the splash plays. But these guys like Nick Williams and Dean Marlowe and uh, hopefully Alohi Gilman when he comes back deserve a lot of credit as well for the way that they have defended the run so far. Yeah, one last thing for me, because I don't think this is a particular truth, but just to add to how this interior has been playing, Zach Martin has only allowed four pressures three other times in the last five years. And then last night was the fourth time. And those three other times were... Aaron Donald and the Rams, the Jets with an excellent defensive line, and then the 49ers. I mean, these are very good defensive lines, and that's the only time Zach Martin has allowed four pressures in the last five years, and the Chargers were the fourth one in the last five years last night. That's how some of these guys are playing. Nick Williams, wow. Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day, et cetera. Again, Zach Martin, like a Hall of Famer right there, excellent <laughs> football player, and the Chargers in this defensive line, they're the ones who gave him the next set of four pressures. That's impressive. That is impressive. To me, Zach Martin's the best guard in football. So, uh, you know, Sebastian Joseph Tate gets injured last night. He comes back, makes a really strong impact. Morgan Fox had the two sacks as well. Uh, so it, it's a unit that the defensive line, at least, is is really playing well right now. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of frustration otherwise about this defense, but you have to give a hat tip to the Chargers defense. And to your point, uh, the Chargers are currently fourth in the league in sacks right now. They are Uh, tied with the Miami Dolphins. They have one more sack than the Philadelphia Eagles, who are fifth. Uh, Again, pretty good sack production. You know, the pressure percentage is not fourth. You know, the pressure percentage is kind of middle of the pack right now. But when given the opportunity, the Chargers have gotten home. Of course, they did have a a six-sack performance from Khalil Mack. But, you know, like, 
sacks matter. <laughs> you know, you got to get home when you when you can, and the Chargers have been doing that so far. I'm not gonna lie. When Khalil Mack got that seventh sack on the next drive, I was like, okay, here comes another five. <laughs> didn't happen, but it's okay. It doesn't quite work like that in the NFL. Um, Steven, what is your truth for this game? Yeah, uh, you know, it's a. It would have been really funny if Khalil had another six sack performance, or even like a three sack performance would have been kind of crazy. Um, my truth. We talked a lot about him on the show on this channel. Uh, Tuli Tupilotu continues to exceed expectations, and right now he's on pace for a historic rookie season. Um, in the pro football focus era, which goes back to, I think 2011, there have only been two edge rushers, two rookie edge rushers, I should say, to surpass, uh, 40 total pressures and 25 total run stops. Tyler, if you had to guess who would those two players be? No, I'm trying to think of it right now. And I'm, I am nothing. I got nothing. Who are they, Steven? I lost it. So 2019, Nick Bosa, which is not a surprise, and 2014, Khalil Mack. Oh. In 2014, as a rookie, Khalil Mack had 42 run stops for the <laughs> Oakland Raiders, which is absurd. That's a crazy amount of run stops. Um, but those are numbers that are really hard to, to, to come by. You know, Chase Young won Defensive Rookie of the Year with 46 total pressures. Um, Greg Rousseau in 2020 had 34 total run stops, but he only had 30 pressures. You know, those numbers are really, really difficult to come by. As it currently stands, Tuli Tuipolotu is on pace to surpass both of those numbers by a pretty wide margin. You know, he has 10 total run stops through five games, which means he's on pace for 34 total run stops. And he has 19 total pressures through five games, which means he's on pace for over 50 total pressures. Um, Will Anderson for the Texans is also on pace to surpass those numbers, but he's played an extra game than Thule has. So you look at the sheer impact that Thule Tuipolotu has made on this football team through five games. We're talking about a guy who could be on pace for a truly special season. So I'm sure some people are maybe a little bit sick of us talking about Thule Tuipolotu, but to put it into perspective... He is currently doing something that only Khalil Mack and Nick Bosa have done in their rookie seasons. And so we're going to keep talking about Thule because through five games, I don't think this is an, an overstatement, Thule has been their best player on defense. He's making an impact on every single level possible. He's taking double teams away from Khalil Mack. He's defending the run at a high level. Um, PFF only credited him with one run stop last night, but he was their highest graded run defender. And I think that could, number could have been as high as four. I, I love the way that he defends the run. He's so intentional about it. Um, and he's also producing as a pass rusher. He had five pressures last night after kind of getting shut down a little bit. Again, taking double teams away from Mack against the Raiders. So Thule is incredible, man. He just turned 21 a few weeks ago. He's already producing a, a historic rookie season as an edge rusher. And I love, I love to say this because it, it's so funny to me. He was the 12th edge rusher taken in the draft, and a bunch of those guys are not producing nearly the level of him as a pass rusher or as a run defender. Uh, when you are doing things that Kalumak, Nick Bosa, and we'll see about uh, Will Anderson as well, how, how he stacks up there, but he's pretty good, man. It's pretty good, and the Chargers have really been very fortunate to get the production out of him that they have so far. 
Yeah, and these guys are taken all in the top five, whereas Thule is someone taking the second round. That's really yes. the big difference here. And maybe even why the NFL hasn't quite caught on just yet. I feel like in terms of media coverage, maybe with the defense or the Chargers or whatever, the fact that he's a second-round pick, not a whole lot of discussion, I think, around Thule. Even though he's putting up historic numbers, it feels like he's still <laughs> underrated out there. It's so funny that we keep going on the show and saying, okay, this will probably be the last time, you know, <laughs> there's only so much more he can do. Like, yeah, sure, he'll keep playing and playing well, but it's good for a rookie or it's good for, you know, a couple of games. But, I mean, like you pointed out, we're talking about history-making season here over the course of the rest of the year. And this is a player who, look, the Chargers have been very inconsistent this year. And even Justin Herbert has been inconsistent. Even Rashawn Slater has been inconsistent this year. Whether you think Thule is the best player or second best, third best, or whatever, he's been their most consistent player this year by far. And I mean like down to down. We talk, you talk about against the pass. You talk about against the run. He had a pass breakup. Unfortunately, didn't get called or didn't count because of <laughs> a penalty. So cool. was so it was so cool. And it was great. It was the best pass breakup of the season, and it was Thule playing edge. Uh, I thought it was a defensive back the way he popped that ball out, but no, it's it's Thule just being awesome like he always does. So I'm expecting three interceptions next game, and I bet you he'll give me four. He's been awesome, man. Like I, <laughs> I I have no problem talking about him because win or lose, it's been such a bright spot in this season. He's been outstanding, and with the way things are trending, like pound for pound, one of the best picks in, in Telesco's history. Got to give him credit. Whether it's you know Jay Rogers, Giff Smith, Telesco, Staley, you name it, like. They've gotten everything around this guy perfectly and primed and poised to be certainly one of their starting edge rushers next season. Yeah, and it, it's he doesn't even have like a real pass rush plan at this point in time. <laughs> like, you know, he's going to get a full offseason in the NFL to truly dedicate and work on his craft, continue working with, with Jay Rogers, continue working with Joey Bosa and all these guys, and, and really like actually get to train as an NFL player. So, um, Jamari talked about that. Um, you know, I, I want to say in one of his press conferences leading into training camp this year, your first off season after you get drafted is just kind of a mess because you train for the combine drills and then you have to move into a new city. And Darius Davis was talking about this week, how he didn't even have furniture up until like a couple weeks ago at his apartment because like, he just wasn't sure what his role was going to be on the team and everything like that. And I don't. I, I would assume that Thule had furniture because he's he's got to stay <laughs> home with the team. But you know, it, it's it's such an underrated aspect of things that that's that second off season for you as a player is really where you can start to settle into things because you're not training for the combine. You're training for actual football stuff. You have all this experience under your belt. Like we felt good about Thule as his floor because he's he was such a good run defender, right? But. I mean, he's on pace for over 50 total pressures and, you know, PFF doesn't split sacks like the other outlets do, but he has five sacks on PFF. Like he's just, he's exceeding all expectations and he's performing at a truly historic level right now for a rookie edges defender and the Chargers need every ounce of it and he's giving them it and it's just been so much fun to watch him continue to impact the game in different ways. He dropped into the coverage like five times and he was in good position every single time. Uh, so it's just... He's incredible, man. One of the most underrated storylines of the season so far because he's not a first-round pick, because he plays on the Chargers. Like he's, he's putting up a ton of numbers right now, dominating football games, and he just turned 21 years old. So have to give Thule love. I think we will be doing this every single week on this channel because he's just been balling out right now, and I, you love to see it. 
All right, so I guess that means that I get to fart in the elevator now and bring up some of the bad <laughs> stuff. So let's go with this one. We got to, especially in a loss, you know, you got to talk about what happened. And I think that the next truth here is that the Chargers lost a game by three points and two penalties directly related to, you know, the defense, attributed to the defense, allowed the, the Cowboys to get six points. And if you look at how the Chargers have been doing this season in their losses, granted, there's a lot that goes into these losses. It's not just the penalties, the reason that they lost, but they've lost three games this year by two points, three points, and three points. And they've had defensive penalties in those games directly lead to three points, seven points, and six points in those games, respectively. Unfortunately, this is costing them games in critical moments. Last night, Derwin James had an unnecessary roughness penalty on, on first and 20 that moved the Cowboys to the 17 with 14 seconds left in the half. Of course, they get a field goal, although Mike McCarthy just wanted to take time down for whatever reason. Um, you know, on third and 18, yeah, Dak... I thought that was strange. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Um, On third and 18, Dak picks up nine yards on a scramble, but then there's two penalties on Michael Davis and Jaw Taylor. gives the Cowboys that that first down, um, and they get the go-ahead field goal on that same drive. So, you know, whatever's going on, you know, discussion, Brandon Sally said, having to teach and to educate these players, whatever's going on, it's not working. And the truth of the matter is, yes, those penalties – contributed significantly to the loss yesterday but these penalties overall are going to keep the Chargers out of the postseason if they can't get them fixed and unfortunately Derwin James needs to and I, I feel bad because there's a certain style that he plays and a certain almost throwback way that this guy can play especially you know when he's hitting very hard he's got to reel those things in I mean he is the defensive leader you know one of the highest paid players on the team one of their best players He's got to reel it in, and whether it's his fault or the NFL leaning a certain way or refs targeting him a bit more because they know he's a certain way, he's got to rope those in. So, unfortunately, the, the penalties did lead, um, contribute significantly to a loss last night. Yeah, you know, it, he's, a, he's a veteran player in this league. Like, he's got to make an adjustment at this point. Um, you know, it, it would be different for me if it, this was, like, one specific officiating crew that maybe calls things a little tighter. Like we had heard leaning into this, this past week that this past officiating crew, you know, calls offensive line penalties at a much higher rate than everybody else. Like that's a, a targeted attribute of that officiating crew, but the lowering of the shoulder, you know, the launch point of these receivers of these tight ends, running backs, quarterbacks, everything is changing and it's been changing. And it's a, and it's a real point of emphasis across the league. Every officiating crew is going to call those as penalties Regardless of if you lower your shoulder, regardless of if you're trying to go for the other shoulder, if you make any contact with the head, it, it's going to be a penalty and you have to make an adjustment. The Chargers benefited from this as well. You know, Justin Herbert steps up in the pocket and like he starts to slide. But before he starts to slide, Jaron Curse is already actively attempting to tackle him. And because Justin Herbert is sliding, makes contact with Justin Herbert's head and it was a personal foul penalty first down chargers on I think it was a second and long it would have been a third down and long um so it goes both ways it's not just Derwin James everybody across the league is dealing with this kind of thing and you've got to make an adjustment um that's a you know one play a game kind of thing the the defensive secondary penalties are I think are more concerning because those are technique penalties and Brandon Staley was asked about this today 
And uh, here's what he said about these penalties holding the defense back. He said, quote, capable of being an elite unit that needs to stop fouling. We're in premium coverages, leverages, and our guys have to play clean football. I think that we're playing with the right variety. I think we're rushing the passer at a high level, which we just talked about. I think we're covering people up, taking away their targets. Last night, they had a couple of tough plays. Dak made a couple of loose plays with his legs from an execution standpoint. Our guys are executing the defense as well. What I'm seeing is a unit that is playing at a high level and that we would be feeling, I think, convincingly positive about if we hadn't had the fouls. So they know that they need to improve. They know that they need to correct these things. And it's just a matter of constantly harping on these kind of techniques, these kind of situations, so that these penalties can can stop happening. Because you're right. He's right. It is holding the defense back. You know, and you don't necessarily take the penalties into consideration with the third down percentages. But right now, they're, they're top 10 in third down defense. If you just took away the penalties, that would stay that way. But once you add the penalties in, they're in the low teens, and that's the difference in a couple of these games. So it, it's been a frustrating part to watch, you know, and, and hopefully they're able to clean it up because, like you said, if they're not, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep preventing this defense from really ever reaching their ceiling right now. Yeah, and we even saw, I think, a better version of Michael Davis than we had throughout this season. I think even just the yards allowed, they were the lowest of the year. I believe it ended up being 39 yards. He had two pass breakups, looked really good there. But then there's the penalty. It's like, ah, you know, the penalty that I think him and John Taylor kind of split there. I believe Davis has declined. But, you know, unfortunately, that just kind of mars the whole defensive performance. It mars someone like Michael Davis and his, you know, I think relatively stronger showing than he has recently. It's unfortunate. I think the the front seven is playing at a really high level. I think the way they played over the last few weeks is the best they've played in quite some time against, I think, better um, offensive lines or competition or whatever. And the secondary has just let them down in that regard, unfortunately. Um, does it get fixed? I don't know. Um, we were hoping to see these penalties go away after the bye. And look, stuff is going to happen. I'm not going to lose my lid if the Chargers have one holding penalty in the secondary next game. Like It, <laughs> it will happen. It happens to a lot of players and, and teams. It's just, unfortunately, the situations in these moments, again, we're looking at three losses where they lost because of points that were allowed by the defense because of penalties um, at unfortunate times, particularly in the secondary. Yeah, I think that's a fair one. And like we talked about, you know, this is, this is a continuing problem, and if it continues, I guess I boarded that poorly, but you know what I meant. Um, if it keeps happening, this defense is going to continue to struggle to, to keep teams off the field, so um, it is what it is. Um, my next truth here is that the Chargers offensive line is really struggling right now, and it's on the coaches to figure out how to make this unit reach their potential. Um, I sit here and I watch these NFL games around the league, and there are teams that I'm pretty sure would kill for a Rashawn Slater, Zion Johnson, Will Clapp, Jamari Sawyer, Trey Pipkins kind of lineup. You know, we are watching some truly poor offensive line talent teams around the league. And I know that Corey Lindsay is incredibly valuable. He's so smart, one of the best centers in the league. But taking Corey Lindsay out of this unit should not derail its pass protection the way that it has. And some of that is on the players, but... Also, a lot of this, I think, is on the coaches and the way that they have dialed up their protection plans. Um, the Chargers' offensive tackles are left on an island, 
at basically the highest rate in the league outside of Philadelphia, which has Lane Johnson and and Jordan Mailata. Um, you can make an argument that Jalen Johnson and Rashawn Slater is as good as Lane Johnson, although he is struggling with an ankle injury right now. Um, but you're asking these players to just continually be perfect because if you're not, there's going to be pressure, uh, you know, in Justin Herbert's grill. And we saw that uh, against the Raiders. We saw that last night against the Cowboys. And so it's on this Chargers coaching staff, in my opinion, to establish a more rhythmic protection plan so that this offensive line can really, you know, reach their ceiling, you know, play to their potential. Because right now it's a lot of traditional dropbacks. It's a lot of pressure on the offensive line to continue to be great. You know, if you watch that first drive again, it's a lot of pocket movement. It's a lot of screens. It's a lot of, uh, you know, tight ends chipping and things like that. It wasn't a huge sample size, but um, you have to mix those things in at a higher level. I don't think we saw another screen in the second half. It was a lot of, you know, deep vertical shots and things like that. And until the very end when they had the fourth down play to Gerald Everett, it was a lot of traditional dropbacks. And so this coaching staff, I think, has really – fallen in love with the way that Keenan Allen and Joshua Palmer are playing. And a lot of it is the vertical route tree. And I, and I understand that those guys are playing really, really well, but you're leaving the offensive line on an Island a lot. And I think you got to mix in some of these other concepts that will, you know, make life easier on the offensive line so that they are not always left on an Island with, you know, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Max Crosby, all these guys just, you know, chomping at the bit to get after Justin Herbert. So, the offensive line did not play well last night, but I think also from a conceptual schematic standpoint, this Chargers coaching staff needs to do a better job of protecting the offensive line so that they can protect Justin Herbert at a higher level. Yeah, this offensive line is certainly way too highly paid or drafted or talented or all three to be struggling like they are. And you could talk about pass protection, but also the the run game. The run game, which I thought was, yeah. I was hoping, I think a lot of fans were hoping it was a well- Austin Eckler in game, they run like they did. Austin Eckler not in game, they don't run as well. Austin Eckler returns, hey, maybe the run game gets going again. And granted, not that Austin Eckler was 100% healthy, you know, certainly wasn't as healthy as he was in week one, but we were certainly hoping for more. I mean, that Dolphins front is no joke. It's not like Chubb, Phillips, Wilkins. It's not like they're scrubs by any means. They're very, very talented. Yeah. So I was hoping for more, but you look at the game last night. I mean, Austin Eckler had 27 rushing yards last night, and only three of them were before contact. So there's not a whole lot Eckler could even do at that point. And I think when yeah. he's maybe healthier and in rhythm, they'll be better, but you can't rely on him to be, you know, Breeze Hall at, at Iowa State and just getting destroyed behind the line of scrimmage and praying you get two yards out of it, which he was very good at. And you can't pray for Austin Eckler to keep doing this or, or saving you. And hopefully that the way they work the scheme – where they call runs, et cetera, improves because they are the only team below 30% right now in rushing success rate. You know, you try to run three times and two of them are failures. Only one is a success. Technically less than that. Again, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's 27%, I believe. 22% from Danny Popper today. Oh, even better. I think that's since week two. Um, that's their, their rushing two, yeah. success rate. So not great. You know, Rashawn Slater with the injury, that kind of almost makes me feel better because he certainly struggled the last couple of weeks, but if it is because of an injury, I certainly understand. And, and thank you for him for being out there and toughing it out. Same with Will Clapp, by the way. Uh, but Trey Pipkins, Rashawn Slater, yep. they're struggling. That's the first time Rashawn Slater has allowed six pressures in his career. 
he's never allowed five pressures in his career. And last night was the first time he allowed six in his entire career. So they got to be better up front. And I'll, I'll sort of segue into the next truth here. They need to be better up front because Justin Herbert is the MVP of this team and they're 0-6 or 0-5 without him and they don't go anywhere without him. But last night he very much so struggled and the Chargers need to find ways to not necessarily just help him, but find other either easy buttons or things that they can do when they know Herbert just maybe does not have it that day. There are going to be games like against the Vikings where Herbert could throw an interception and it's a touchdown. There are games where he's going to be basically perfect. And there are games where he's going to be really good. And sometimes in the NFL, you have games where you just don't have it that night. And, and Justin Herbert was off target on 22% of his passes, which is the third worst of his career. And that's just off target throws. That doesn't count, you know, miss, missing a read, um, you know, missing Darius Davis, missing Josh Palmer because he's looking elsewhere, throws elsewhere again, off target on 22% of his passes. And it, it really looked, and we talked about this after the game, it looked so crisp on that first drive. You know, there was a rollout, there were some screens, a screen didn't work because of a penalty. They called another one and that one worked. Everything looked so much better. They had motion with Keenan Allen. Everything looked so good. And then everything kind of just devolved into a traditional drop back and they tried to get the run game going and it just was not working. There are going to be games where sometimes Justin Herbert just does not have it. Sometimes he can't throw for four touchdowns. Look, I mean, the entire Sunday before this game was littered with quarterbacks who just weren't playing well, like these high paid, very good quarterbacks. And they just didn't have it that game. You know, and yeah. Herbert, well, that was his week as well. So they need to find a way to press easy buttons, but just protect the guy, you know, calm down the clock a little bit, calm down the rhythm of things, get a run game going and find some balance to really help out Justin Herbert, who did not have a very good game. And I think it was one of the worst of his career. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think certainly since his rookie season, you know, 2021, there weren't a lot of bad Justin Herbert moments last year. He had the broken ribs. Like I don't really count the Seahawks game. I don't really count the Jaguars game from the regular season because the guy could barely move. Um, but certainly since his rookie season. And, uh, you know, I think football, you know, at a philosophical level is, is about finding your identity, finding your calling cards, and then establishing ways for you to win and, and move the football and take away the football in other ways around that. Um, you know, whether you are a Super Bowl champion, whether you're the worst team in the league, you've got to have those attributes to you, you know, and we've seen other teams when their quarterback plays not so well, you know, have uh, some takeaways, ha block a punt, you know, have a great kicker performance, you know, whatever the case may be. And, you know, there are certain players who, who really supported Justin, you know, Joshua Palmer could have had a huge game if not for some of these penalties. Keenan Allen was excellent yesterday. Um, the defense, like we talked about, stopped the run. They got after Dak Prescott. Um, but conceptually, you know, this play calling unit, I think, was was the worst of the season. And I think we have to talk about Cullen Moore in an honest fashion because we've been very high on him. And I think in general, he's done a very good job. But, you know, there was this article from The Athletic that Kellamore wanted to put up 100 points yesterday. And I think maybe tried to do a little bit too much. And then when the offense is struggling, you know, instead of going to those easy buttons, instead of going to the to the rhythm drives, he was trying to go for the kill shot, make it all up in one play and kind of approach. That's kind of what it felt like to me watching it. Um, and I understand that, you know, we, we see this all the time and 
like the NBA, when teams get down big, they want to just start chucking up threes. And that's not always the case. You know, that's not always the best way to come back from these victories. So um, I expect Kellen Moore to bounce back from this. I expect Justin Herbert to bounce back from this. There's a lot of like narrative conversation about both of them today. I think both of them are too good at their jobs to let this kind of performance hinder their the rest of their season because I think both of them will have very strong bounce back seasons um, after this performance. But you have to call it like it is. I think both of them really struggled against the Cowboys yesterday. Yeah, and, and it's very difficult to express yourself in full when you do have to face the Cowboys defense and the, the defensive line that they had. We know it was going to be not easy sledding. We figured it'd be tough sledding for this offense, but yeah. So we'll see. Unfortunately, uh, the Chiefs have been the second best defense in the league since Week Two when they got Chris Jones back and inserted Drew Tranquil more into the lineup. So it it maybe gets easier in the sense that they don't have the same one-two punch at edge rusher. But that defense of the Chiefs is playing really, really well right now, playing some really good football. So hopefully the Chargers can figure it out, and, and hopefully there's some familiarity with that that helps. Yeah, and the Chiefs stopped the run at a really high level too, and it's a very similar approach to the Cowboys where like they want to stop the run, set up these third and long situations, and then Steve Spagnuolo is, Spagnuolo, excuse me, is one of the most creative blitz callers in the league among defensive coordinators. So, you know, the Chargers are going to have to stay ahead of the sticks uh, as much as possible next week, and, and they know that. We've, they've played against Steve Spagnuolo a dozen times at this point. Like, they know what he's about, so... Um, you know, it is going to be interesting to see what Kellen Moore has, has dialed up and what I think should be a bounce back performance from him. So, um, all right, Tyler, let's, let's put a bow on this today. Uh, I'll go first here. I think my game ball performance is going to be go to Joshua Palmer. Um, again, somebody that I think has been, uh, receiving a lot of unjustified criticism from the fan base, from certain parts of the fan base, I should say. Um, but again, four for 60 yesterday. And again, did not do his stat line justice. Um, I thought that there were three or four other opportunities where he made a great catch. He had the one handed catch on the sideline, um, the catch and run on the first drive, which should have resulted in a touchdown. Um, you know, just was constantly, you know, providing an outlet for Justin Herbert last night. I thought he was really, really solid. Could have easily surpassed a hundred yards last night. Um, Brandon said he was asked about Joshua Palmer today and, you know, they continue to, uh, really praise and, and, and hype up Joshua Palmer because they, they love him. They're very excited about where Joshua Palmer is at. Um, and rightfully so after last night, I thought he had a great performance. So Joshua Palmer gets my game ball for tonight. Yeah. Last well, night. Yeah. A bit of a surprise. I, I, well, I was going to go with Josh Palmer, but I wasn't sure if you were going to go with Palmer after the way we talked about Thule glowingly. Um, but I like it. I mean, he's. Again, the expectations for a receiver maybe can be very high. You're hoping for hey, a buck fifty a game. You got to give me hundred something a game, and sometimes you just got to sit there and realize that like sixty to eighty yards occasionally, a plus game of over a hundred, is really freaking good. I mean, it's very difficult <laughs> to play out there. And Josh yep. Palmer probably could have had a hundred yards last night if not for two plays that were called back, and who knows what else if they had capitalized on maybe one more drive. Um, really solid performance, some really good catches, really good stuff after the catch, it seemed. So very, very strong showing, even though it didn't show up in the stat sheet. So I like that one. Uh, my game ball, I'm going to have it split between Morgan Fox and Sebastian Joseph Day, which maybe is unfair. But the, again, Zach Martin, the past three seasons have only given up, uh, or five seasons, excuse me, has given up only four pressures three times. And again, again, Sebastian Joseph Day, Morgan Fox, it was his fourth. 
Um, really, really impressive. Both of them only played 52 snaps on the day. Morgan Fox's snaps are a bit down on the season, which is a bit surprised compared to how much he was playing last year. And then Sebastian Joseph Day got hurt and missed a lot of the game. So between them, they only played 52 snaps, but they had uh, five pressures, three sacks, and five run stops. So basically, every five plays, you're getting a high-end play from one of those guys. Really, really impressive. The way that they controlled um, the line of scrimmage was excellent. The way they rushed Dak was excellent. That's a very, very good interior of the Cowboys. The whole line's very good. That's a very, very good mm-hmm. interior. And Sebastian Joseph Day and Morgan Fox really stepped up in this one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a good one. Um, all right. Uh, we were going to talk a little bit more about the Chiefs game, uh, but I think we're, we're running short on time today. So we'll have you guys covered from a Chiefs preview on our own channel. Uh, make sure you go check that out when we go do our deep dive, uh, which will be published on Thursday. Um, so, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. Make sure like the video, subscribe, comment, let us know what you think uh, was your biggest truth or takeaway from the game. And we'll be sure to uh, interact with you guys on uh, on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're watching, listening to this. Uh, we always greatly appreciate the support. Uh, appreciate always Tyler's effort and time being with him. Is, is It's obviously been a, a great relationship for us, and I'm glad to have him here with me on this ride. So I uh, appreciate Greg Kim as well for producing and, of course, the Chargers for allowing us to have this platform. That's going to do it for us today, guys. We'll see you next time. As always, bolt up.